We've been talking over the last uh, two years. No, 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 it hasn't been that long. About the Church of St. Anna. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, over the past few weeks, about how this lady named Anna and how she prayed in the temple. And it says in the, there that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus uh, to the temple and they met this woman named Anna who was very, very old and she had spent most of her life praying for what is said the redemption of Israel. And in this, we, we've been trying to mine this passage to understand what it means to be God's people. And we've called it the Church of St. Anna. What it means to be an Anna church, to have this kind of relationship with Jesus. It says at the end of that passage in Luke 2, it says that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna wasn't praying by herself. She wasn't the only one who was doing this. She wasn't praying in isolation. She was praying with other people. And she, she happened to see Jesus and, and the Spirit spoke to her and she recognized who he was and she spoke to those who were praying with her. I want us this morning to discover how we might become a people of God, not just individuals of God. How we might be a praying people of God, not just praying individuals who go by ourselves before the Lord. So what I want us to do as we enter into this this morning, I would like to invite you to stand up and stretch out your hands across the aisles in, in, in this room. And we're going to invite the presence of God to reveal His Spirit to us and reveal His truth to us as we pray together and we hear His Word. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. We invite you to reveal things to us that we cannot be real, revealed by the words of men or even our own thoughts. I pray that you would reveal things to our hearts, the individuals in this room who come here with heavy hearts or happy hearts or wherever they are, I pray that you would speak to them. Around this room, I pray as, as people are joining hands, I pray that somehow you would take a step in joining us as a group of people who love you and are unified before you. I pray that you would teach us your truth and how to walk in your truth. And more than anything, I pray that you would be real to every person who's in this room. Every person would know you and know your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I had the privilege of sharing with you last week about drive-through Christianity. And I compared our prayer lives as individuals to an experience that we often have. In fact, I said 25% of you in this room will probably eat at a fast food restaurant today. That's what statistics tell us. And I, I compared our fast food experience or our drive-through experience to a, a drive-through prayer life where we go up to God's restaurant and we have our requests and our needs that we present to God and we say, God, can you heal me? God, can you do this? And God, can you do that? And God, I need money and God, I need this. And then we drive forward and we expect the, the God package, nicely packaged in a, a sack and we pay him our $1.50 and we go about our merry way. And we, we, we presented a different way of that, uh, praying, a, a different way of praying that is kind of illustrated with 
When you go to a restaurant and you sit down for a long meal with Jesus and you interact with him and talk with him and you're not just presenting your requests to him, he's also sharing his heart with you and speaking to you. And I want to expand that experience a little bit. Just as we can have a drive-through prayer life, we can also have drive-through church experiences. You can see, many people in America see church as a, a drop-off point where I, I drop off to get my spiritual food once a week and then I go about and do my real life. What happens in the room where there's what quote-unquote church isn't real. That's my spiritual stuff. But then my real life involves cooking meals or cleaning the house, making money, carting the kids around. All of the stuff that in, involves actual real life as we happen to see it. And we don't necessarily think that often think that God is involved in that kind of stuff. God does the church stuff. God does the spiritual stuff. But God is not involved in changing tires or putting a baby to sleep. So many times what, what church ends up being is we are together, but we're still alone. Church ends up being a, a, a little bit like that line I explained to you when I was in, uh, I told you about last week when I was in Russia and I saw that we went to this McDonald's and the line for McDonald's was four hours long. And those individuals were there together, but they were still isolated. They were still isolated from one another. And, and church became, you know, when we do that with church is we are sitting around people and we may know their name, we may not know their name. We greet them, we say hi to them, we lift our hands or, or sing songs with them, but we still feel isolated when we come to church. And then on top of that, we hear sermons about prayer. We hear sermons about the way people pray. And, and many people, I feel like when they have this drive-through kind of church, they think, well, he's talking about prayer, but I'm not the kind of person who really likes to pray. Because when I think of a person who likes to pray, I think of someone who's solemn and serious. They're spiritual. That's what they do with their lives because prayer is something that's spiritual and it's separate from my real life and church is separate from my real life. So I remember I've heard hundreds of sermons on prayers and I probably tuned out half of them because I thought I don't get it. I'm not wired that way. I'm not that kind of person who likes to get serious with God. I like beach balls and laughter and all kinds of other stuff. What about... You know, it, it's very valid, those people who really like to pray and get deep with prayer. And I've read, read them, and I go, wow, I don't get it. There are people who called to live in the monastery and, and devote their life to prayer. And I think, wow, that's awesome, but I don't get it. And because I haven't gotten it, many times I've just kind of tuned out prayer because I saw prayer as being something for spiritual people. And I thought, my life is a real life. And prayer doesn't relate to that. Yeah, I offer my requests, but you know, how, do I, how does prayer for real people, real praying, 
work in my real life. I've entitled this sermon, Prayer Games. Prayer Games. I did not know that the kids were going to do that this morning. My wife was involved with this, but I didn't realize what they were going to do and, and the fun we were going to have. And I was like, hey, who knew, and what God knew, uh, that I would entitle, entitle it Prayer Games. Prayer for real people in our real lives. Prayer Games. Prayer for real people in our real lives. You know, when I've heard sermons on prayer, part of the reason that I've tuned it out or part of the reason that I've thought, well, that doesn't relate to where I am because I have tests to study for or I have work to go do tomorrow or I have other things in my life is because I, I've seen most of what is talked about about prayer is solitary praying. I don't know how many of you have played the game solitaire on your computer. We used to play it with card decks. But now we do it on the computer because you can shuffle a lot faster. And you can play for hours and get lost in solitaire. I've seen my father do this. When we visit, and he, gets, he goes into the room, and he, uh, he just plays solitaire for a long time. Or uh, You might have seen the other game that comes free with Microsoft Windows. It's Minesweeper. I remember when I first got my, uh, uh, my own computer. It was a 486. It was fast. I thought anyway. I thought I was cool. I went away to seminary and I had a 480. I, was, I had the best computer on my floor. And people wanted to borrow it and I went, I wasn't very nice. I didn't do that to them, but you know, that would have been real mean. No, but I did have one friend who would come in and he, he, he loved to play Minesweeper. And he'd play the highest level of Minesweeper for hours. And he would get lost in it. I mean, he was just so focused on it. He'd, 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 he'd lose and he'd go, oh man, I thought I had it figured out. And he'd get lost in this other world of playing Minesweeper by himself or solitaire. Others would play solitaire by themselves. And I think that is analogous to sometimes how we view praying. That prayer is about what I do in solitude by myself. And if you think about it, the only way to get ourselves into that place or at least I've found, is through discipline and focus and silence and isolation. And I have to bear down. And I've been told prayer is work. And then I read stories in the Bible and I go, wow, these people seem to enjoy prayer. It didn't come across as work to them. What was the difference? And I'm told, well, it's the presence of God and they had commitment to it. I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. Sign me up for another round of that guilt trip. Guilt me into prayer. Tell me how Martin Luther spent three hours a day in prayer. That really make, motivates me. I, I'm like, okay, Martin Luther did. That's a good history lesson. But what about, how, what about my heart? I want to have a heart that really communes with God and not as guilted into prayer. And there are people who do naturally spend lots of time with, in prayer, and they're called to that. And I, I, I want to say, that's great. But for the rest of us in the room, and we think, well, I, I don't know how to, what is this, apply, how do I pray? Because this solitary praying leaves me alone, and I can't figure this out. Sometimes, when we enter into this solitary praying, we're actually doing what we do when we play solitaire. You know, if you play a game like that by yourself, you're 
And many times you're using it to escape the world. That's okay. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying the worries of the world, the pressures of the world, you just need a little bit of a break. And so you go turn on the computer and say, I'm going to tune it out. So the kids are asleep. Uh, My wife's watching television. I can just go into another world. And I think sometimes that's the way we view prayer. Prayer is something where I escape from the world. We try to escape from the realities of the world. We try to find a spiritual place, to find a mystical presence, to attain a special power. It's a little sometimes, I think sometimes we, I've, I've experienced this where I thought prayer was, I'm trying to, you know, maybe walk around three feet above the ground because, you know, Prayer is about getting out of real life, going some other place. And then there are times in solitary praying where you might find that you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bopping back on your head. You think, is God really real? Is he here? I'm offering this prayer up. I'm doing what I've been told to do, and I'm praying for my children. I'm praying that this will happen, but I just do not sense God's presence. And the more I pray, the more alone I feel. I don't know that that's the way Anna... I'm not sure Anna saw prayer that way. I think Anna saw prayer is not necessarily a solitary thing, but it's something that she did sometimes in solitude, but there were others around her. Yes, she prayed by herself, but yes, she also prayed with other people. And that shaped how she prayed by herself. The way I pray with other people will shape how I pray when I'm alone. And if I only pray when I'm alone, many times I I turn inward on myself and I miss the point. I think God wants to present a different perspective. I have a question for us this morning. Does God laugh, have fun, enjoy life? Do you think he enjoyed what happened this morning when we were singing those songs with the kids and the balls were bopping around and we were enjoying life? Some people might say no. Some people might say, you know, God is serious. And we need to be serious with God. And we need to be reverent with God. And I say, yes, we do. But there's also that side of God that says, come into my life and enjoy life and enjoy the freedom in it. I think God plays games. Now, I'm not talking about irreverent. He doesn't play games in a way that's tricky. I'm saying, I think God has fun. I think God smiles. It says in the Old Testament that he dances over us with singing. It says in the New Testament, in Luke 18, 16 and 17, Jesus said, or Jesus did this, but Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter into it. Playfulness. When you're playful, it means you're trusting. A child that is playful has a trusting relationship with those he's playful with. I've been learning this this week. As my eldest son 
loves to go to Play Park. We have that in our townhome complex, and he can see it from the window. And every, Play Park, Play Park, Play Park. I think we've been to Play Park five or six times this week. And he never gets tired of it. Because he's in this kind of trustful playfulness with me and our, his, my mom, I mean his mom. He's in this trusting playfulness with us and this play park idea that he can play and laugh. And it's, it's incredible to see him just run around and laugh. That gut laughter and chase puppies. And I think there's something about our relationship with God that he wants to give us that kind of trustfulness where we can laugh even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of going into the hospital, even in the midst of family situations that are difficult, that trusting playfulness where we can sit in his lap and say, God, I don't understand how this life works, but I trust you. I trust you. And it puts a smile on our face and joy in our heart. Because we know we can trust God because of this reason. I can trust God not because I know that he will lift me out of this world. Not because I know, not because I know that when I pray I can somehow rise above it. No, that's not the reason. I can trust God because I know that he comes into my mess. He comes into my life. He comes into our lives. In the midst of our trouble, in the midst of the everydayness, in the midst of what's going on in our lives, and he redeems it. He reconciles it. He sets it straight. And I pray, and I pray for the redemption of Jerusalem. She prayed for the salvation of Jerusalem. And Jesus came to set people free. And he comes today into our messes, into our lives, into my life. And says, you're not going to be here forever. You're not going to have to live with this forever. I'm coming to set things straight into our lives. I think one of the keys to our catching this message, to catching the reality that God comes into our mess through, by the power of his Holy Spirit, one of the central ways that we learn this is by playing prayer differently. I mean that, playing prayer differently. By this, I mean we learn to pray together. It says in Matthew 18.20, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. I've played a lot of games of solitaire. But I've never had as much fun playing solitaire as I've had playing spades or dominoes or this game called hand and foot that we used to play with some friends. And it's like the longest game on the face of the earth. I mean, it goes on forever and ever and ever. And the point of playing these games wasn't necessarily to be the best or to win. Now, some of the people in the room were a little bit more competitive than others. But it was just to laugh and talk and get to know one another and we talk about all kinds of stuff some serious some less so serious some you just was fun connecting over playing these games with one another I remember when I was in college and uh, I was a summer missionary in Germany and we, and we did we did youth camp 
in the, uh, the mountains of Switzerland. Oh, it was hard. It was really hard. It was, you know, just such an ugly place. I mean, it, but we did it. We sacrificed for the Lord. And I, I remember the last night of the camp, I was supposed to drive the van of kids back home four hours back into Germany. And, but there was all these other missionaries that were there with me, and we'd gotten to know one another and hung out together. So we stayed up all oh, till 2 or 3 o'clock playing spades. I don't remember who won or how we played or what went on. It was just the fact that we were together talking and sharing, praying, revealing our hearts to one another. There was something about, there's something about playing games together that brings joy to your soul and revives you. I needed that because the situation I was in when I went back into Germany to my church was a little bit difficult. I needed those friends. I needed the memories of their support. Richard Foster is an author who writes a lot on prayer. In one of his books, he tells a story of how his family said, I want you to come and pray for our little child. She's very sick. She's very, very sick, and we need you to come pray for her. When he got there, Julie was the little girl's name, and, and he looked at her brother and said, he was just uh, you know, early elementary school age, and he said, will you pray with me? His face lit up because he trusted. He knew that he could just ask. And Richard Foster records his interaction with the little boy this way. He said, let's play a little game. I said, since we know that Jesus is always with us, he is waiting patiently for us to center our attention on him. When we see him, we start thinking more about his love than how sick Julie is. Let me read that again. When we see him, we start thinking more about his love than how sick Julie is. He smiles, Jesus smiles, gets up and comes over to us. Then let's both put our hands on Julie, and when we do, Jesus will put his hands on top of ours. We'll watch the light from Jesus flow into your little sister and make her well. Let's watch the healing power of Christ fight with bad germs until they're all gone. Okay? The next morning, the little girl woke up well. And you might say, well, that's a coincidence. But I found that the more I pray, the more often coincidences happen. And the more often I pray with others, the more often coincidences happen. Call it what you want. I like coincidences. praying together. I want to talk about three aspects of this prayer game. You know, every game has its rules. You can't just do whatever you want to to make this happen. And if you'll give me the leeway to call this, I'm not meaning it in any sacrilegious way. I'm just kind of using it as an analogy that we're learning to play together through praying together. To have a light-hearted, trustful Nature with God as we learn to play together this game of prayer that is very serious, and I'll explain that in a minute. There are three rules to this there's the place, 
of this prayer for real people. There's the presence of this prayer for real people. And this, and then third aspect or third rule is the power of this prayer for real people. I want to look first of all at the place of prayer for real people. It says in that passage in Matthew 18, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Two or three is part of the key there. Now, Jesus' presence is promised to individuals too, but there's something different about coming together as two or three. I'd like to illustrate this through one of my favorite movies. It's called, it's the movie Forrest Gump, and probably most of the people in this room have seen it. Forrest had a very unusual relationship with an unusual person, especially for the time that this book records of time in the 60s. And they were in the Vietnam War, and uh, Bubba Gump, well, Bubba, I can't remember his last name because the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company is what it's called, but Forrest Gump had his best friend named Bubba. And Bubba was lost in the forest or the jungles of Vietnam, and Forrest had to find him. And as he was looking for Bubba, he found all of many of his other uh, friends that were fighting with him, and he drugged them out. He found his sergeant, Sergeant Dan, and drug him out. And he had to go back and find Bubba. He had to go back and find Bubba. two or three are gathered in my name. I've heard that a lot. And I've thought, well, it just means we get together and we just say we're, we're praying together. But I think there's something slightly different to the meaning of this. I think Jesus is more talking about when you're willing to wash one another's feet, when you're willing to sacrifice for your, your life for another person, when you're willing to give up your life, your safety, your credibility, your standing in this world for the sake of another person, and you come together in that stance together, 
in self-sacrifice for one another in my name, I'm there. I'm there. Jesus promises. And if there's anything that this enemy wants to keep us from having in this world is friendships. Deep, committed friendships where we will sacrifice for our lives for each other. That's what the enemy wants to steal from us. Because he knows that there is power there. He knows that if he can get us isolated, that he can surround us with the, the enemy. He can keep us isolated in this war zone of this world. And if we are by ourselves, we get confused and lost and even harmed. And sometimes... You and I need Jesus with skin. Yes, I believe. Do not hear me saying, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I need daily prayer with God. But I also need somebody who is going to act as Jesus with skin on me to kind of say, let's, let's get back over here. Because life doesn't always work out like we plan. And we get caught in a war zone. We get caught trapped in situations we don't like. And we live in a world that's we've been, where we've been told that we need to be more like John Wayne than Forrest Gump. We need to be this solitary individual who pulls ourselves up by the bootstraps and makes something of ourselves. And God helps those who help themselves. Ben Franklin said that, not Jesus. I'm here to say to uh, you that God is in the midst of the humble person who says, I need help. Will you pray for me? It says in, in James 5 that the, when we pray for one another, we confess our sins to one another, and we pray for one another that healing comes. That takes humility. It takes brokenness. And our world tells us that we're not supposed to be broken or humble. And so we import that into our drive-through Christianity and our drive-through church experience and say, I'm going to come into church. I'm going to sit down, have my spiritual experience, take it in and go home. Me and God, that's all I need. I'm not so sure that's the way life really works. But not for me anyway. The place of prayer for real people is where two or three are gathered. Not some spiritual room. Not some spiritual building. There are, I'm not against spiritual buildings and places where we have, have met Jesus uh, many times. Or <clears throat> but sometimes we elevate buildings and call them church. The meaning of church is not a building. The meaning of church in the New Testament, church means a gathering of people. That's all it means. We put all kinds of other definitions on the word church. When you say church, people think building. Sometimes they think elaborate building. Sometimes they think service that's happening on Sunday morning. In the New Testament, when the word church is used, it simply means a gathering. And then Jesus says, when it's a church of Jesus, it's a, a gathering where the presence of Jesus is there. So, where two or three are gathered in my name... 
It's a form of church, just like this is a form of church. Now, it's, there are many forms of church, and I would not encourage you to say, I'm going to sacrifice this church just because you meet with two or three. But I'm saying to you that we need the two or three to make this church more real. We need the gathering of people who are going to be Forrest Gumps to us. Who are going to sacrifice. We're going to, we, we learn to sacrifice our lives for one another. We need that to make church come alive. And we become a lighthouse to St. Paul. The place of prayer for real people is where two or three are gathered in his name. Or 1,200. The presence of prayer for real people is the second rule of this praying together. It says, two or three, in my name. We must learn to meet in the name of Jesus. Many times I've been part of small groups who met in various other names. They met in the name of Bible study. I used to think that Bible study was the key to a small group. And I'm not against Bible, stu Bible study. I, I study the Bible and have a degree and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something more to it than just studying the Bible. Or you can meet in the name of your problems. You've seen groups that come together and they commiserate with one another. You know, there might be a men's group, and all they do is spend an hour and a half complaining about their family life. I'm like, boy, that really helped them. So you get mired in worse into your troubles because you can commiserate with other people who are worse off than you. You know, I need to meet in the name of Jesus so I can get off my problems. You know, remember... Oh, that the quote I read about praying for, praying for Julie, the little girl who was sick. And Richard Foster told the little boy, let's focus on Jesus, not on her sickness. I've been a part of prayer, service, prayer services for healing. And the focus was all on the sickness. Oh, God, bring healing. Oh, God, bring healing. And, the, and louder and louder and louder it would get. And I would say, wait a second. We need to focus on Jesus, not on the problem. Because he's the only one who can do anything about it. And the more we elevate the problem, the less Jesus becomes manifest. Now, I'm not saying we ignore our problems. We need to be honest about our problems. But we need to learn to meet in the name of Jesus. What does that mean, in the name of Jesus? It means to meet under his rule, his authority, his control, his leadership. That means we must wait on him and allow him to be the center of of the two or three, or four or five or six, however many are gathered. I don't meet in the name of a book that we're reading together, even though good, there are good books out there that we can read as a group. We meet in the name of Jesus because he is the one who connects us to one another. He is the one who brings spiritual love for one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian from Germany who was martyred. He was killed by uh, the Nazis a few days before their surrender. He wrote, This spiritual love will thus speak to Christ about the other Christian more than to the other Christian about Christ. In other words... If I'm going to enter into this kind of self-sacrificial love for you, I'm going to learn how to pray for you 
because Christ has more to give you than I do. So many times I've had friendships or relationships with people and I see something I need to talk to them about. And I say, oh God, help me see the way to speak to them. And he's just saying, let me speak to them. Why don't you pray for them? And let me reveal this to them. Now, there are times when God has come back and said, I want you to say something to them. But other people, are my best friends, are not mine to fix. They belong to Jesus, not me. My family is not mine to fix. They belong to Jesus, not me. This spiritual love will thus speak to Christ about the other Christian more than to the other Christian about Christ. It knows that the most direct way to others is always through prayer to Christ and that love of the other is completely tied to the truth found in Christ. In other words, what he's saying is if, if another person is here, there's two or three, and I'm over here, that Jesus stands in between us. That's the way we're unified. It's the presence of Jesus in our midst that unifies us. His presence becoming a reality is what makes this powerful. Not some formula, not some book, not some three steps and you've got it. It's not that controllable because it's a relationship and you cannot control relationships. The presence of prayer for real people is the reality of Christ in our midst. The reality of Christ in the midst of us, the center of our lives who brings unity. That takes, that, me, that must require a little bit of waiting upon Jesus. A little bit of not being in a hurry. The third rule of this prayer game is the power of prayer for real people. The power of prayer for real people. It, it says in Matthew 18, 19, which is the verse immediately preceding the one we've been reading about two or three gathered in my name. Jesus said, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I found that when I pray by myself, I often think I'm praying for the right thing. And I'm praying in the right way. But then I share how I'm praying or what's on my heart with someone who's close to me and they, they give me a different perspective and I realize that I've been praying wrongly. And, and if I didn't share that with someone who was close to me, someone who knew this about my life or knew what was going on in my life, I would, if I didn't share that with anyone, I would get so focused on what I was praying for, I'd become very myopic. And I would dig deep into the same thing over and over and over and over. And then I'd look up and go, God, why aren't you doing anything? He says, because you're missing the point. I can't answer your prayer because that's not what I'm doing in your life right now. I'm like, oh. You know, when we were, before we came up here and, and moved, uh, we, we were without a job. I was in an unusual situation. and I was really praying. I was really praying for a job, anything. I mean, two young kids, new house in Houston. I thought, God, just I don't care what it is. I just want a job. Well, God wasn't in that stuff. I didn't get one interview. 
I thought I was pretty marketable. Guess not. A little humbling. But God wasn't in that. In fact, I told Shauna, I said, you know, I, I, I wrote like five different versions of my resume for different types of jobs. And, and I said, Shauna, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I don't feel like God is in any of this. But I feel like I'm supposed to do it because I don't want anybody around me thinking that I'm just sloughing off and expecting God just to do something. Well, God did something, and I, we got this. I mean, we got to move up here and be a part of this beautiful place. You know, we, 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 but it's in that sharing, and we, we were in unity over that, and we talked about where we were. And we didn't just focus in, and I realized, you know, I can search and search and search and try to make something happen with all these other kind of jobs, but unless I wait on the Lord, how am I ever going to walk in His blessing? Sometimes our prayers, when we get by ourselves, are driven more by worry than they are by the presence of Jesus. And when other people get around me and reveal that to me and say, Get off of that and pray about this. You're missing the point of the prayer. I need someone to help me see that. I can't often see that by myself because I get so consumed with what's going on. When I do this with other people, whether it be a close friendship or whether it be in a covenant group or a refuge group or a youth small group here at the church or wherever you might connect, we learn to dance together. Lynn Foote is uh, one of the pastors on my team, and she has this copper piece. Uh, it's a, uh, that would be called uh, something, on her desk. And it's a people that are woven together, and they're connected together, and it's, they're, they're dancing. And, and you, there are some people in the middle of this circle, and they're two or three feet, oh, wait, two or three centimeters off the ground because these other people are lifting them up because they're encouraging them and, and sharing life with them. And this is a symbol of our life together as a church because we cannot go from drive-through church to something different unless we do it with other people. Or else we'll be by ourselves in isolation. You can pray better by yourself. You can study the Bible more by yourself. You can serve God by yourself. But it's a lot more fun to do that stuff with other people. To have Jesus with skin on around you. People who are willing to sacrifice their life for you. And lift you up. Jesus comes into the midst of that. He comes into the midst of our messes. And he comes into the midst of the good stuff when we do that. But the world says, no, no, no. The world says, you need to figure this out by yourself because you're a man. Why would you want to share your struggle with someone close to you? They don't share their struggle with you. You're a man or you're a woman, you, you, you know, you're a single woman and you've got three kids and you just got to make it happen. 
got to make it happen because you've made some mistakes or, he, or you're a man and you've made some mistakes in your life. You know, and this is what you deserve. God doesn't look at it that way. God doesn't look at it that way. He says, I want to come around you. I want to reveal my grace to you. I want to restore you. I want to redeem you. I want to bring things, turn your mess into right and redeem it. The little messes and the big messes I want to come into. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to fix yourself before you reveal it. It's when we reveal it and we are humble enough to share it with others that God comes in the middle of that and brings order to our lives. Our world tells us to hide. Our world tells us that people will hurt you. Our world tells us that relationships are a lot of work. Because, you know, you've got stuff to do. And you don't have time. You've got a job to tend to and baseball to take kids to. Or you've got two jobs to take care of. Or whatever is going on in your life. Or there are people in the world tells you, says, you know, that deep thing that you want to share that you've never shared with anyone. If you tell anyone that, they'll reject you. And shame takes over your life and causes you with, to withdraw. And you end up like Bubba in the middle of the jungle wondering, is anybody going to come get me? We're going to have a time of closing uh, reflection and prayer this morning as we listen to some background music together. I just want to ask a, a few questions of you. Some of you in this room <coughs> listen to this and you say, that's all fine and dandy, got, uh, Scott. That's something you say in Texas, fine and dandy. I've not heard that up here, but anyway. But you don't understand my life. I'm way too busy for these kind of relationships. My life, I have lots of relationships. I, in fact, I'm not very lonely. I'm so busy, I've got hundreds of relationships because that's what my job requires. But they're all acquaintances. I don't have any Forrest Gumps in my life. And I don't know how to get there. Or you might say, you know... I don't trust people. I've been hurt in the past, and this is a big risk. I, to, get, to go down that path is beyond my comprehension. Or you might just say, you don't understand who I am, and if I really reveal who I am to someone, they won't accept me. I don't do Forrest Gump relationships. That's too big of a step. Well, Forrest and Bubba didn't develop that kind of relationship overnight. And I'm not going to give you five steps because that, that life doesn't work in steps. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but to give you five easy steps for making this happen would be a lie because life doesn't work that way. Relationships don't work that way. 
I'm just going to invite you to pray. To pray right now that the Lord will open your heart. And I want you to ask Him. If you're in any of these situations where you think, I want more of this, I want you just to simply ask God to lead you out of where you are into something different. Because that's the kind of God we serve. And He will lead you. Will you do that this morning? Will you close your eyes? God, we just simply ask. We just simply ask. Because we trust you. We trust you to lead us out of this situation, of this isolation, this hiding, into a deeper connectedness with others that we might, that we might experience your presence in new ways. I pray for this miracle because you are that kind of God. You come into our lives and you redeem us. And I pray against any pressure to try to make this happen, but that, Lord, you would guide us into this. As individuals and as a church, we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you and his peace go forth with you. In Jesus' name. If you would like prayer this morning, there will be people here at the altar to pray. And if you're thinking, I don't know this Jesus person, there will be someone over here at the table who would gladly meet with you and talk with you about receiving Jesus into your heart. God bless you.